So I got a question for you. Let's imagine you could invite four people. Listen to the rules now. Four people, any four people, living or not, four people to the dinner table. Who are you bringing? Four people. Think about it. Who are you going to Anyone you want. They're not going to say no. Anyone you want, you can invite to dinner. Who are you inviting? Now, because I know you're going to be texting each other, even though you're sitting next to each other, or you're just probably going to whisper like it's what's happening right here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 15 seconds to share with the person next to you. Mark, set, go. Who are you taking to your dinner party? Who are you bringing in? All right. Here we go. Some of you, you immediately went sentimental, didn't you? Some of you are like, well, that's that person that I really, really love, but they live a long way away or they're not with us anymore. So you went sentimental. Some of you, you went historical. So you're thinking like Teddy Roosevelt with the big fuzzy mustache and the great big boots. You're like, or Thomas Jefferson, because he was in the room where it happened and he knows how the Capitol ended up in D.C. And like, I'd like to know that. So you went historical, honest Abe, something like that. Some of you, you went with like your line of business, whatever that line of business is. You're like, there's this expert. No one else may know this person, but I know that and I'd love to have that person. Or you went like sports star. You're like, I want Brady, you know, have Brady over for dinner or, or Jordan or something like that. Famous director, singer, whatever. You get the point, right? I just want you to consider now why. Why would you invite that particular person? Probably you're inviting them because you're like, well, that person would make me laugh or that person would be able to tell some good stories, or that person would be able to pass along some wisdom, or I love that person, and I miss them. Some of you, as you're telling different stories, so Ian said Peter, that was one of the people, he said, he's like, Peter would be fun to have, you know, like Bible Peter, he would be a fun guy to have at the dinner table. Some of you are like, oh yeah, Peter, I'm taking Jesus, that's who I'm going to take, Jesus is coming to my dinner party. So let's think about Jesus for a moment. If Jesus was asked, Jesus, who, who are the four people you would want to bring to your dinner table? Who would he say? Who would he say? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. <laughs> Here's the thing. We're going to come back to this question again, 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 all through this sermon series. We're starting a brand new sermon series today called Soul Food. Now, I got to tell you, when I first heard soul food, I was expecting something fried because I'm from the South, y'all. So when we say soul food, it's going to stick to your ribs kind of food, right? We're thinking some barbecue, something like that. And that's not the graphic that I see the picture of at all because this is really talking about the soul food of Jesus sitting down at the table, which throughout the book of Luke, he does again and again and again. Take your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, as you're turning there, we had this book out in the lobby you can go pick up a copy. It's called A Meal with Jesus. It's by a guy named Tim Chester. Now, the teaching team had the opportunity on Tuesday evening to do a Zoom call with Tim, and, which was really pretty incredible because he lives in the UK. So it's like midnight his time, and he's talking to us about this whole concept. And one of the things he says in the book is he says there's three times in Scripture that it says that the Son of Man, Jesus, came to the Son of Man came to do this and to do that and to do something else. Three times. The first time is in the book of Mark. It says the Son of Man came not to ser be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we see in the book of Luke that the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. We also see in the book of Luke that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So what he points out in the book is he said the first two times... 
talk about purpose. Why? Why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to seek out and save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. And then that third statement is how. How did he go about that? He came eating and drinking. So in the first century, that table, sitting down at the table was a big, big deal. You see, when you sat down with someone at the table, it communicated acceptance. It communicated intimacy and friendship and unity. And I say the first century, but isn't it true we do the same thing today? If someone comes over to your house for dinner and they sit at your table and they get around the table, you're communicating the same thing. There's this intimacy and this friendship that's communicated. So as we work our way through this series, we're going to look at who Jesus actually invited to the table. And then we're going to kind of look at what should be our response because of that. Who did Jesus invite and what should be our response? And that brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that following Jesus means feasting with sinners. That following Jesus means feasting with sinners. And so we're going to kick off this passage today. Jesus is on the lookout trying to figure out who's he going to invite for dinner. What's that dinner going to look like? And we're going to see that Jesus finds sinners. Look at verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 is where we're going to be. It says, after this, he, meaning Jesus, after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. There's just a few short verses right there that give us this very simple story, yet beautiful story of redemption. We learn a lot, though, real quick, right? We learn a whole lot. First of all, we learn a lot about Levi's background. His name is Levi. That tells us that he probably belongs to, to the clan of the Levites, right? So the, there were 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, the 12 families, if you will. Now, the Levites were different than most. The Levites were set aside. Their task was to care for the temple. Their, their task was to lead out in worship services. Literally, everyone in this family was called upon to lead the worship services. That's not what Levi's doing, though, is it? It's kind of like if your name is Smith, if your name is Smith, that tells me that way back in your family line, someone worked with metal, right? That was what they did. They were a blacksmith, a silversmith, a goldsmith, but it was someone who worked with metal. That's how you got the name Smith. Well, with Levi, his name came from the Levites, that that was probably who he belonged to, and his family was set aside for that. But he made the decision that said, no, I want to take care of my wealth. I want to be a very, very... Rich man, so he becomes this tax collector. Now, becoming a tax collector is different than saying, today I work for the IRS. It's very, very different. And what the tax collectors would do is they would literally take the money from the people. They would take money, and then they would give it to these Roman soldiers, this occupying force, these soldiers who would have abused and oppressed the people. So at the very, very best... A tax collector would have been looked at as dishonest or a collaborator. At the very worst, they'd be looked at as traitors or extortioners. Now, the Talmud, the Talmud is, a, is like a Jewish commentary, right? It's where these rabbis would all agree on different points uh, of teaching. What we read in the Talmud is that the tax collector was viewed as a robber. As a thief. So, the very job of being a tax collector, by the very job, you were a sinner. You were a sinner because of that very job. And then think about how Levi would have fit in with the 12. 
Guys, that wouldn't have gone very well. Like, you know, when you look at the 12, you have at least one, if not two, zealots, right? Now, a zealot was someone who said, by military force, we need to overthrow Rome. We need to fight those guys, and we need to kick them out of Israel. We need to kick the Romans back to Rome. In fact, part of the line of the zealots, like one of the splinter groups off of the zealots, uh, was the Sicarii. You guys know about the Sicarii, right? I, li- I like this group. It's probably one of my favorite groups that we don't really talk about very much because it reminds me of Assassin's Creed, the video game. Anyway, they have like these, these were guys that would carry like, I'm becoming real nerdy right now, right? But they had these knives hidden in their robes. Like this really, really happened in the first century. And they would walk through the marketplace all nonchalant. And then they would see the Roman guy there and they'd take out their little daggers and and then they put it right back and they walk off like, I didn't do anything. What? You know, and they could just kind of do that. That was a line of the zealots. So the zealots, I mean, we are talking people who physically want to overthrow the Romans. And then in comes Levi. Can you imagine how that relationship's going to work? They're looking at people who are, are, are literally stealing from the people to support the occupation of Rome. Like that relationship is not going to go well. Or the fishermen. At least two sets of brothers, Andrew, Peter, James, John. They would go out and they'd fish all night long. They'd catch their fish. They'd come in. They'd sell their fish. Taxes weren't just paid in April. This is something where right after you sold your fish and you had money, you'd have to stop at this tax booth. And you'd have to hand over your money over to Levi, knowing my family needs this money to eat. My family needs this money to survive. And you're literally sitting there in your fancy clothes and your fancy booth with the protection of the Romans, stealing my money from my family so you can support Rome. That's the relationship that we're talking about. That's how they would have looked at Levi. That's not what Jesus saw, though, is it? We saw that Jesus says, or it says in Luke that Jesus saw him. That word saw there, if you look back down at your Bible, that word saw, you might write a note, it's the word observe in the Greek. Jesus was observing Levi. He was observing him. Now, when he was observing him, how long did he observe him? And we don't, we don't know. We don't know how long. What did he observe? We don't know that either. Maybe Jesus looked at Levi, maybe, and he saw someone who was so full of regret because of the decisions he made. Maybe someone who knew that he was supposed to go and be responsible for worship, and instead he's busy getting rich. Maybe. Maybe he sees someone who, although he's very wealthy and prosperous, he's not feeling prosperous and wealthy inside. Maybe. We don't know what he saw. All we know is what he said. And what he said was, follow me. Now, when Levi followed him, I want you to know what a big deal this is. The, the brothers, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they, they followed Jesus. But if in six months things didn't work out, what would they have done? They would have gone right back to fishing. You see, when Levi leaves, he's leaving everything. He's leaving the protection of the Romans. He's leaving the financial security of the job that he has. He can't go back to this job in six months. If he walks away, this is it. And some of you know that feeling. Some of you know that feeling of when the Lord calls you and you're like, if I take this step, I can't go back. There is no going back. This will change everything. That's the position that he was in. This is so, so big. So when Jesus saw Levi... He saw more than a tax collector. When Jesus saw Levi, he saw one who was far from the Lord and lost and had no idea how to get back. That's the same thing that happens today, isn't it? That's really the powerful 
testimony you heard from these baptisms this morning. You heard the testimony of people who said, I'm leaving everything to follow him. I'm leaving behind the life I was living, and now I'm going to live this new life in Christ. This was not an invitation that only took place 2,000 years ago. It's an invitation to follow him that still exists today. That's the invitation that we're a part of. And here's what I love is Levi does exactly that. He leaves everything immediately and goes to follow Jesus. And he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now besides throw a party. Like this is reason for a party, which brings us to our second point, that Jesus feasts with sinners. Look at verse 29. It says, And Levi made, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So don't forget. Don't forget the significance of a meal during Jesus' time. This is saying, I I accept you. I'm having fellowship with you. There's going to be unity with you. This is big. Remember how people viewed the tax collectors. It wasn't like someone who works for the government. It was bigger than that. You were a traitor. You were not trustworthy. You were a sinner. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they would have looked at those who were sinners, and they would have looked at their own holiness, and they would say that holiness demands there to be separation from sin. Holiness demands it. And therefore, they would say, we can't go too close to sin because it'll rub off on us. Like, we'll catch it. We don't want to catch it. Right? We don't want to catch the sin, so we got to stay way, away, away from it. That's what we have to do. This is a big deal because it tells us a lot about how Jesus views holiness. He viewed holiness so differently because Jesus and the disciples have a choice, don't they? Levi's throwing a party. Everybody he knows, they're all sinners, every single one of them. He doesn't know any non-sinners yet. And so the people he's going to invite to his party, a bunch of tax collectors. That's who he's going to invite to his party. So should Jesus and the disciples go or should they not go? Well, it all depends on how you view holiness and how you view sin. Jesus' view of holiness was different. We know that from Luke 5. In Luke chapter 5, I just recently talked about this, but that's where the man who's full of leprosy was located, is in Luke 5. And we know that the Pharisees would say, don't get too close to the man with leprosy. In fact, the man with leprosy would have had to cry out if anyone got near. He'd have to say, unclean. Stay away from me. I'm unclean. Don't get near me. You don't want what I have. And so the teaching of these Pharisees would say, if you get too close to him, you are ceremonially unclean. Like you are going to become unclean, just become too close to him. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went right up to the man and scripture says he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. That's the posture of Jesus. That's the posture of Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't worried about sin creeping in and, and tainting him and getting him dirty. In fact, the holiness of Jesus, friends, the holiness of Jesus always consumed sin. The holiness of Jesus would always consume sin. So I want to clean something up real fast because I don't want us to confuse why he's going. Let's not confuse why he's going. There's, there's kind of a movement in Christianity today where sometimes people want to be like edgy Christians. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like they want to be edgy. And so the way they be edgy is they're going to say, 
I want to do the things that like people who are not Christians do. So I'm going to go to these places and I'm going to talk like this and I'm going to watch this and I'm going to listen to this. I'm not going to list out all those things, right? But you know what I'm talking about. It's like I want to be edgy and I want to wear whatever. And when I walk in, I want people to go, man, you're not like any Christians that I know. You're like cool. And you're like, I know, you know, and it's just edgy. I just, I want to remind you, Jesus was not going to the party where there were sinners located so that he could sin. He was going to celebrate new life. That's why he was going. We need to remember the whole purpose. Jesus was on a mission there. That's why Jesus was going. I I also want to clean up something else real quick. Sometimes there are conversations that happen globally within the church. You know, is it okay for the church to do this or not okay? And should the church do that or, or is that mission drift? You know, and where are the lines? And so it might be a question like, hey, should the church sing songs in there that are like not on the Christian radio songs, you know, like secular songs? Should the church be singing those songs from the stage or should they not? We're back in the day. Back in the day, it was like, should the church have drums or is that of the devil? You know, I mean, that was, that was back in the day. That was a big talk. You know, is that mission drift? Are we drifting away from the mission of Jesus if we have a drum? You know, is that, is that not okay? Is that okay? And some of you remember those were some hard conversations. And so if you're wondering what my stance is, I want to help you. I'm going to answer. My answer is that what we do up here is not Christian karaoke. That, that's my answer. That this is not Christian karaoke, meaning the goal of what's happening up here is never to entertain those who might be sitting here or those who are watching online. My, my goal is not to entertain you. I want to communicate the word of God clearly so that you can understand it. I do. I'm a lighthearted person, so time, sometimes I laugh at myself. Or I, but the goal is truly not to entertain you. The goal is to say, let's link arms as we worship the Lord together. That's the goal. That's what we're after. See, the thing is, is I think when we gather, it should be compelling, church. It should be so, and when I say when we gather, I mean in your homes, in a life group, I mean as a family, I mean in here on a Sunday morning, this should be compelling. It should, the baptisms and the testimonies should be compelling. What we see with Levi is when he says, my life has been changed by Jesus, we're going to have a party. It was compelling because his friend said, I am seeing change in you. I want to see what's the deal. I want to see this Jesus. It was compelling. And you know what I think makes it compelling? The joy of salvation. I, I think that's the changer for everything. In fact, if, if I followed you around, just followed you around the church, is that what I would hear? And is that what I would see? Would I see the joy of your salvation? If I just listened at the coffee area, didn't say anything, just kind of sat there and listened as people were getting coffee, do I hear hearts of criticism or do I hear the joy of salvation? If I hang out at the bookstore, same thing, our little bookstore area over there. Do I hear people saying, oh my goodness, let me tell you about what the Lord did this week? Or do I hear hearts of criticism, like it's Christian karaoke time? What do I hear? If I get in a car with you and I listen to your family on the way home, because here's what's so easy. You know, I really like that we sing this song. It's been a long time since we sang that song. That song was weird. I didn't like that one. And Pastor Billy, oh, he certainly had some better sermons than that one today. I'll tell you that right now. You know, I just, is that what we're doing? Or let's flip it around. What if, what if you were able to come and listen to everything I said through the week? And what if you were listening in on the staff meetings? If you were listening to our staff meetings, what do you hear? Do you hear the joy of salvation? 
Do you hear stories of the work of the Lord? Or do you hear critical hearts? What do you hear? You see, I think that when we come together, friends, it should be so compelling. I think our neighbors should be wanting to do anything they can to have dinner with us. I do. I think our life should be that compelling that people are like, I would love to sit down and have some dinner with you. I think it'd be fun just to hang out and just celebrate what the Lord's doing. I, I think that people from your workplace, same thing. I think that with each other, with each other, we should be so excited to say, like, what's it going to take to get on your calendar? Because I want to have some dinner. Like, I just think that'd be great. What does it look like in your life group? Do you do that as a life group? Like, what does that look like? And it should always go back to the joy of your salvation because it ties back to Jesus' mission. This is his mission, friends. He came to seek out and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that brings us to our last point, that Jesus fulfills his mission at the table. Look at verse number 30. He says, The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat? And drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this didn't take long, because not long before this, Jesus had been invited in to speak at the synagogue. And now the religious leaders, they're you know, just slamming on the brakes right here. Like, this is... This is weird. Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners, and this is creating a conflict. Like, this is a problem. Like, what's going on here? Now, the, the Pharisees, I want to I explain this. I think the Pharisees would have looked way more like us than we want to acknowledge. I, I do. They were religious guys. And not only were they religious, they were people who absolutely believed in God and his holiness. And their goal was to live lives to be holy like God had called them to. There were a couple of major problems, though. And hopefully, differences between how we are living and how they were living. Number one, they would take the word of God and they would add to it. Like, there's the word of God, but we're going to add some extra rules. Like, the word of God says that you should keep the Sabbath holy. Right? You should honor the Sabbath. And what they would do is they would say, well, so if you're working, then that's a line crosser. And so what we're going to do is we're going to count how many steps you take. We're going to count them. And if you take too many steps, you're sinning, and we're going to call you out for it. So that's what they would do. They would take the word, and then they would try to expand on the word to make sure they didn't break the word. But the whole time, they're adding to the word. Church, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't try to add to the word of God. The other thing they would do is they were following the salvation by separation. Salvation by separation. In other words, we want to be saved and we want God to reward us and we want God to acknowledge us. And on all of those heathens out there, we want God to bring wrath and judgment. And we're going to stay separated to make sure that we don't catch any of that. That's not what God promised Abraham, is it? When God made the covenant with Abraham, he said what? He said, you're going to be uh, uh, the father of a great nation that's going to be a blessing to all people. They forgot their mission. Their mission was supposed to be a blessing to all the people. And they got so distracted from that mission and they missed it. They got so distracted from that mission and they missed it. They were missing it because of their whole view of holiness. That was the problem. It was their view of holiness. You see, they thought of themselves as people who were already holy, that they didn't need a rescuer, that they didn't need a savior. They thought of themselves as people who didn't need Jesus. That was the problem. 
Levi, on the other hand, no, Levi recognized he needed a Savior, that he needed Christ. That's why he followed Jesus. You see, when Jesus showed up, and this was the whole fear of the Pharisees, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was going to show up and say, man, I'm so glad I got invited to this party with the cool kids. You know what? I just want y'all happy. Just do whatever you want to do. That's going to be, make me happy if you're happy. So whatever you want to do, I'm just good with it. Some of you, that's your view of Jesus. Your view of Jesus is a Lord who just want to says, your happiness is his goal. That's not what Jesus said, though. That's not what Jesus said. I'll look back at verse 32 again. His whole goal was to call sinners to repentance. That's why he was going. He was calling sinners to repentance. You see, sometimes I think either we try to be the cool kid or we get really awkward and we don't know how to be holy in places where there's sin. We think that we have to walk in like Jesus was going to walk in with the scrolls in his hand going, I'm at the party now. I got my scrolls. I'm ready in case you need a sermon. The thing is, Jesus would preach the sermons, wouldn't he? He would preach no problem to the, to the thousands or to the twelve or to the three or to the one. He would preach the sermon. He would preach in the synagogue. He'd preach on the hillside. He'd preach from the lake. He would preach. But in this scene, he's reclining at the table. He also had the ability to say, I'm going to call sinners to repentance, and I'm not going to call wrong things right. I'm not going to allow sin to taint the holiness of who I am, but yet I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be in the moment. So through this series, I want you to know you're going to receive a lot of encouragement to take some steps in this direction. Easter is coming, and with Easter coming... Every single year, you know, we do this. We're going to say, hey, you need to be inviting people. You need to be inviting people because we're not going to have two services for Easter. We're going to have three. We're going to have one on Saturday night as well. And we'll also have Good Friday. So you can come Good Friday. Then there's going to be a Saturday Easter service. And then our two normal Sunday times will also have Easter services. Yes, I want you inviting people. I want you inviting friends and family and neighbors and networks. I want, I want you inviting everybody. But I want to challenge you to do something before you invite them. Why don't you invest in them? Why don't you just ask them over for dinner? Just sit down at the table with them. Hear their story. Hear where they're coming from. Hear their heart. Hear the challenges they're facing. Laugh with them in the things that they're going through in life where, where things are funny. Celebrate with them where there's places of celebration. Jesus was here celebrating with Levi new life. That's why he was there. He was there celebrating with Levi a new life. Start to invest, even now, start to invest in the relationships around you. The other thing I love about this mission is it's not just local, it is global, isn't it? It's not just here, it's for all the peoples of the earth, every tribe and every nation. You know, a couple years ago, we went to Ecuador. And you guys remember when we went to Ecuador, we encouraged people uh, to participate, all of us to participate. So let's say we take a team of, of 15 people. If we take a team of 15 people, every single person who went had to have a prayer network of at least 100 people. Because that means when something goes wrong, and on a mission trip, something always goes wrong. So when something goes wrong, we immediately have 1,500 people praying. Do you hear the power of that? You see, so when we went two years ago, so many of you remember that. It wasn't just our team who went. It was a whole church participating together. Well, in September, we had the opportunity to do this again. Real fast before I do cover this, I want you to know that early on there were some restrictions to travel to Ecuador. You had to have your vaccinations and all that. That's been lifted, so you just have to have the test 48 hours in advance, which might change how people respond on this. Um, 
and, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. We also want to be in prayer for our Plymouth campus. Uh, they're leading out a trip to Rome that's leaving here in just about a week or so, so you'll want to be in prayer for them. But all of you, you see these cards. They were in a chair, either that you sat in or is real close to you. Everyone go ahead and grab these cards. I do want you to know, before we fill out anything, that this doesn't commit you to anything. This is just to kind of prime the pump because these are conversations that are going. We have a lot of work coming up to September. So the first thing that you're going to see there is prayer. Whether we have four people who go or whether we have 40 people that go, we're going to need an army of people who are praying alongside of us. So as I was just talking about that whole thing, if something goes wrong, we send a message, you're immediately praying. Some of you, that fires you up. The thought of being able to be a prayer warrior on the front lines and respond immediately, like you love that. If that's you, I'm just going to want you to check mark, pray, like you want to be part of that team. Some of you, and we don't, we're not asking for any money now. We're not, we're not going there now. But we know that last time no one had to back out because they didn't have funds. Do you know how amazing that is? Like you, you try to buy plane tickets for that many people and the materials that we used to build a church there for that, that big of a project. Like all of that was in hand before we ever went. For some of you, you're in a spot right now if you're going, I know I can't go. Because of my health, because of work, because of school, because of whatever, family situation. I know I'm not going to be able to go, but I can help make sure other people can go. If that's you, I want to make sure that you check give. Again, we don't want any money today. It's just to say that when those conversations come, we should follow up with you. And then the last one is go. Over the past few months, you've heard passages like Isaiah 6, where the Lord says to Isaiah, Whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. Some of you, those very words are something inside of you that just leaps at those words. You just sit there going, I, I got to go. Like, I have to. I mean, I've been faithful with, with sharing the goodness of Jesus with people who live around me now. I've been investing in my church now. I want to go to the ends of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Some of you are going, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of telling all the nations. I want to go. We don't even know what kind of work we're going to do. We might be cleaning up mudslides. They've had a lot of mudslides recently. We might be doing a VBS for the kids. We might be working with people who are part of the dump ministry. We don't know what kind of work we're going to do. All we know is it doesn't really matter, does it? It's not about us. Has nothing to do with us. Has everything to do with knowing the Lord and making Him known. With helping every person understand there's room enough for one more at the Lord's table. So I want you to go ahead and fill that out. And then just two things name and email. That's it. Name, email. I don't need a lot of other information. That will get the conversation started. I want you to fill that out right now. We're going to take just a second to fill it out, and then I want you to pass them towards the aisles, and ushers are going to pick those up. So right this second, just pray, give, or go, and name an email. That's all you need to do, and we will follow up there. If you're watching online, you can make sure to send us a message right there, and we will follow up with you as, as well. As you're finishing that up and passing them towards the middle, I want to remind you that this is all just part of being part of God's mission. That's what it is. Jesus... Jesus, if he was asked, who would be your four, how would he respond? Maybe, maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, maybe that's what Jesus would have said. Maybe he would have said, I, I want to make sure that that zealot, good old Simon, I want to make sure he's there at that dinner party. Maybe he would have said that. Maybe he would have said, Mary, you know, I want Mary Magdalene to come. 
I don't, want make, I don't want her to feel like she's left out. I want to make sure she knows she's invited. You know, the thing is, is Jesus wouldn't have answered the question with only four, would he have? We know that because the way he lived, because time and time and time again, he looked around and he said, who's the person that no one's inviting? I want to make sure they're invited. You know, when I talk about how Jesus would eat with the sinners, church, that's us. We are the sinners. We, we are the sinners. That's us. We are sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus came, because we needed rescued by the blood of the Lamb. If you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you watch all these baptisms, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I want to take that step. I want to surrender my life to Christ. In just a few moments, we're going to have a prayer team right here. We would love to pray over you. You don't need us, though. You can pray to receive Jesus right where you are. But if you would love someone to talk with you about the process, we'll be here. Until that time, guys, it's, um, it's going to be a fun month leading up to Easter. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of meals shared, a lot of stories told, all done with our eyes focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith. The reality is Jesus wouldn't have narrowed it down to four because he's invited all of us to that table. You have been invited. I have been invited. And we get the opportunity as his ambassadors to invite others to join in. Father. We thank you. We praise you for who you are and the great work you have done. Lord, for the baptism celebration of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, who are going through trials this morning. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are stuck at home right now, not able to make it. Lord, we do pray for the team who's preparing to go to Rome that you continue to sustain them and to provide for them. Lord, we pray for Ecuador, even now we pray, knowing that people are going through tragedy. Lord, they're going through the worst kind of tragedy with the mudslides and trying to get the support and supplies that they need. We pray for the Ukraine, Lord. We pray that you continue to protect and provide there. Lord, knowing that supply lines have been broken and there's a lot of people in hurt and need, that you just continue to provide. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see globally. Give us eyes to see next door. Give us eyes to see in our own home. So Lord, with those in our own home, let us, let us share the joy of our salvation. Let there be joy in our homes and peace in our homes and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. Lord, let the, let the fruit of the Spirit just ooze throughout our homes. Because I think it's in that place, Lord, that our lives become compelling, not because of how good we are, but because we're just a reflection of your goodness and grace on our lives. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified by the way that we love. Be glorified by the way that we live. Be glorified by the way that we embrace the holiness that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. It's such a joy to serve alongside of you and to prepare for the celebration with you this Easter season. Let's stand as we worship together.